0: is what is commonly referred to as Easter. Some but many people refer to it also as Resurrection Sunday. And as we get started today, I want to ask you to do something with me. I want to ask you to take your glasses off. Now for some of you you're wearing glasses and you're taking them off, right? Others of you are like things just got really weird up in here. He must be seeing things. I'm not wearing glasses. But let me let me tell you where I'm coming from with this. Each and every one of us has a perspective. We have a view. We have beliefs. A manner in which we interpret and process and filter life. See, every one of us wears glasses. We all uh, have a way of perceiving and believing and accepting things. And so because each and every one of us wears these glasses, each and every one of us are impacted in how we think, how we behave, And even in how we're conditioned to respond to all aspects of life and information based on these glasses. So with that said, I think we can all agree that all of us maintain a view, a perspective, and even beliefs by which we filter God, Jesus, the church, and the resurrection of Christ. We all have our own understanding. But I want to push past that understanding this morning I want us to look to the scriptures and really see what the resurrection is about. So, for example, if I were to ask you, what's Easter all about? For some of you, you might respond, oh, yeah, Easter, it's about Jesus dying and rising again. That's called assenting. How many of you know that when you assent, all you're doing is simply agreeing with something? Have you ever agreed with something and not believed it? No, I'm not knocking anybody here. But I want us to really consider, do we believe what we assent to? Right? Others might say, man, it's all about the egg hunts. It's all about going to church. It's all about dressing up. Still others might say, man, it's about the forgiveness of our sin. And others might just say, man, it's another holiday. It's another opportunity to have a day off. You see, we all have a view and a perspective about the resurrection of Christ and what it represents to us. But here's a question I'd like you to consider this morning. Does your lens, do your lenses, does your view, your beliefs, alive in you? And bring you to another level in life as it pertains to what Christ has done. That's an important question to consider. That's an important question to, to ponder for ourselves. And not just to ponder, but to answer for ourselves. Because for many people, when we think about the resurrection of Christ, what we're thinking about is what happened to Jesus. It's like we're watching a movie, watching TV. It's there, but I'm not in that process. I've got nothing to do with that. And today, I'm going to push our thinking with God's word to see something. That the resurrection is not solely about Christ. It's about your resurrection and mine. It's about your resurrection and mine. And I want you to consider the scriptures. Not my opinion here. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll start at verse 1. And it says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience... That is a big butt right there. Some of you need to get your head out the gutter because you looked at me like, what just happened in church? I want you to think about this. But God is so rich in mercy. He's so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace, by his favor and his unmerited favor towards you and I alone that we have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Listen closely. Because we are, I'm going to say that again. Because we are united with Christ Jesus now, that's a mouthful there, but I want to depict that for you in a very simple way. In this bottle is what? Water. How do you know it's water? What if it was bleach? That was a lot funnier in my head. <laughs> anyway, whatever it is, right, that's not the point. There's water in here. But wherever this bottle, this container goes, so goes the water. So if the water is down here, where's, where, if the bottle's down here, where's the water? It's down low, right? If the bottle's up here, where's the water? It's raised up, right? So let me read this to you again, this portion of scripture. Verse 6. It says, He raised from the he, uh, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. My friend, the same thing that true of Jesus is true of you. You may have been told you can't. You may believe you're down. You might be told you won't make it. You might feel down. You might believe that it's all going sideways for you. You might see the most weak of circumstances, but the Word of God declares this, that in Christ Jesus, because he was raised from the dead, you can rise from anything to new life. Now, I pray you believe that. And I pray you begin to see that what God did through Christ was not simply about Jesus. It was about you and I. It was about you and I. So think of it this way in light of these verses that we just read. It's like coming out of service today and you're walking and you happen to see this guy laid out on the floor. And because of goodwill and your own... You know, you're driven to, to help people. You see this person and other people are just walking by and so you you go beyond the first step. You, you you go to investigate. And you walk upon this guy and you're looking to see if he's breathing, and you notice that there's nothing happening in his chest. And so you get a little bit closer. You get a little bit closer to the extent that you you put your ear to his mouth and you feel no breath, and you maybe you put your head on his heart, your ear on his heart, and you hear nothing, and you go a step further. You take your fingers and now you start, you know putting your hand on his chest just to see if there's a beat, and then you go a step further, and you put your fingers on his neck, and then you go a step further, and you put your fingers on on his wrist, and you're looking for vital signs, and all of a sudden you realize this guy's dead. Now here's what many of us would do, all of us would do. At that point, you'd resign yourself to say, there's nothing else I can do, but let me call someone. Let me do something in this regard. But the scriptures revealed that God did something different. It says that while we were dead, while we were dead, God looked upon us and he didn't say, they're done. There's nothing I can do. No, 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 no. God took it a step further and do what only he could do. He gave us life. 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 And that's powerful. Because if you consider the meaning of that, it tells us that God does not walk away from us. If you've ever wondered why God gave Christ, here's the simple answer. He came to help you, not hurt you. He came to lift you up, not pull you down and leave you down. He came to give you new life, not forsake you to a life amongst dead things. He did the ultimate for us, which leads us to an important point. As it pertains to God's intentions for everyone. And it's this. It's that God raises dead things back to life. He raises dead things back to life. The entire message of the resurrection of Christ speaks to every area of our lives. You don't have to live with a grave full of dead dreams. You don't have to settle for dead hopes. You don't have to succumb to the, mon- the monotony of dead routines. You don't have to exist in dead relationships. You don't have to hold on to dead habits. You don't have to hold to-, to believe dead mindsets and think according to them. God gave Christ so that you might rise from these dead places and live. And live. And so I want us to see an example of this from the scriptures. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke 24. And we're going to start at verse 1. And starting at verse 1, it says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. What tomb? The tomb where Jesus had been laid. And taking spices they had prepared. Remember that point. And so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men, which happened to be angels according to what the scriptures revealed to us, suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. And the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. And then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. And so they rushed back from the tomb to tell this to his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene and uh, Joanna and Mary the mother of James and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again. Now watch this. Wondering what had happened. See, Peter didn't leave there with a revelation, with an understanding. Peter left there empty, just like the tomb was. And so these women and these disciples had been devout followers of Jesus. They had borne witness to the life that he brought everything, everywhere he went with this message of this gospel of the kingdom of God. His teachings uh, made God relevant and real in the hearts of many. They turned the nation of Israel on its end. uh, And by his great miracles, these people bore witness to the life-saving power, not just of his message, but of his life itself. These people had been impacted to such a great extent by their relationship and the experiences that they had had with Christ. And so these women and these disciples came to know an entirely new way of life with Christ. And yet, three days after the crucifixion of Christ, we find the disciples cowering in fear and disbelief. And these women were clinging for dear life, listen closely, to a corpse. I'll tell you why I say that. According to Jewish customs, and back in these days, when someone passed, prior to passing, what you would do is you would buy a plot of land, you would buy a, a, a cave of some sort, and you would carve out of that rock what would eventually be the tomb where you would be laid and where your closest of, of, of family would be laid there. And so what they would do is uh, and, and it would kind of look Something like this. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that a guy named Joseph of Arimathea took his own tomb, the one that he had purchased, and he provided it for Jesus to be laid there. And so this guy was a man of great wealth. So I would imagine it was in the midst of a garden. It was in the midst of, 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 of a beautiful place, a serene place. And so anyway, uh, what Jews would do is they, after they had the tomb, when the person would pass, they would wash the body ceremoniously. And then after that, they would apply spices to preserve The body. Kind of like what they do today in in, in a different way. And so these women, when they showed up to the tomb, I want you to get this clear picture. They showed up with spices for one purpose and one purpose only. To preserve a dead body. To preserve a dead body. They weren't seeking Jesus. They were seeking a corpse. Their hopes were in a corpse. I remember being a kid, uh, I, I think I was three or four years old, my mother took us on a vacation, and we went to her native country, El Salvador, and so we were out there for about a month or two, and, and I remember they, my, my aunts, they had markets, uh, they had meat uh, markets uh, and so we would go to these markets, and in these markets, not only were their businesses, but there were other businesses there. And so on one particular day, I don't know if it was I that asked or one of my sisters, but whatever the case is, my mother bought us these cute little boxes that had holes. And the reason why she bought them was because she bought, the, she bought us these beautiful little yellow birds. They were yellow, and they had beaks, and you know, so I'm being a kid, I'm just excited to have a bird, right? I'm shaking the thing. I'm looking at it and everything. And I'm all excited, but I'll tell you why I was more excited, because I believed it was a duck, and so when we got home to my aunt's home that day, uh, guess what this kid did? Yeah, I went and filled up the tub because ducks swim, right? So I take this little bird, and I fill up the tub, and I'm in there, and nobody knows what I'm doing. I'm in the bathroom, and, and you know, I throw it in the water, and the little bird is flopping around, and I'm like, oh, look, it's swimming, right? It's, it's, it's swimming, and then all of a sudden, it goes underwater, right? And it's not coming up, but it's kind of still kind of doing some wiggly stuff. And I'm like, all of a sudden, oh, look, it's swimming underwater, right? And then all of a sudden, it kind of just stopped moving. But in my mind, there was nothing wrong. It's just what ducks do. So I grabbed the little bird, and I start kind of playing around with it. And it's kind of like dangling in my hand. And I pull it out and I put it back in. And right about that time, my mother walks into the bathroom. And she's got this look of complete horror. And she goes, what are you doing? And I said, what? I'm playing with my duck. She says, son, that's not a duck. That's a baby chicken. Now, you can imagine the horror and the dismay that I was undergoing at that time. At a young age to take the life of a chicken. It was, you guys are laughing, man, but that was hard for me, man. That was really hard for me. But I'll tell you why I share that 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 story with you, that true story. It's because any attempt that we make to live through dead things will never produce life. I'm going to say that again. Any attempts that we make to live through dead things will never produce life. See, you may not been you may you you and I may have not been at the tomb of Jesus that day, but every one of us has been at a place of something dead in our lives that we're attempting to find and produce life from. It can be a memory. It can be an experience. It can be a traumatic situation. It can be a hurt. It can be a loss. It can be a a difficult circumstance. It can be beliefs. It can be those stories that continually we rehearse and we regurgitate, we spit them out, and we ingest them again. And we go through this cyclical downward spiral in life where we're clinging to something that's not producing life. It gives us no hope. It gives us no strength. It draws us none the closer to God, and yet somehow we're convinced that we can resurrect this dead thing again and again and produce life from it when we can't. That's where these women found themselves in this moment. They were clinging to a corpse for life. But upon reaching the tomb where Christ's body had been laid, the scripture says that these women were puzzled. That word puzzled there in the original Greek language is interesting because that word there, what it means is to be entirely at a state of loss. In other words, the absence of his corpse left them with a sense that all was now completely lost. Because whatever hope they had left in this corpse was now gone. And as they stood there embracing their despair, the scriptures say that the two angels appeared to them and said to them, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Now these words of, these, of the angels are important. They merit us digging into them deeper because they have a dual meaning. You see, these angels weren't just telling them, Jesus isn't here, he's alive. They were saying to these, to these women, you don't belong amongst the dead. You don't belong here. You don't belong here. See, the life that we seek and long for cannot be found in the tombs that we keep to enshrine. Those things, those, those memories, those situations, those circumstances, those people that produce no life. It's the reason... Why the scriptures tell us that what God did through Christ is also true of us, it's an invitation, it's a guarantee, it's a call to step out of those dead places. Let me ask you a question, because we've all been there. Name one time where you held on to something in your life, where you depended upon something to work in your life that didn't. You know that stinking thinking? You know those thoughts, let me speak to some marriages for a moment. You know those thoughts that you tell yourself about your spouse that you swear nobody hears, right? And you didn't say it, so there's nothing wrong with it, but you, you oh, you rehearse it. You think on it. You, you begin to see a new picture as a result of those thoughts. Let me ask you a question. How's that working for you? doesn't. How's clinging to things that pull you away from God, that pull you away from anything that produces hope? How's that working for you? It doesn't. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's where these women were. They were clinging to a corpse, they were putting their hope in a body, and they had lost sight of what Christ had told them he would do. See, in the same way that Christ was risen from the dead, God's desire and plan for you and I is that we would arise. From that place among which we hold on to that which is dead. And so, for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to encourage you and point you to just three simple points about making the choice to come alive, to see not just the resurrection of Christ, but to see that you too can rise. I really feel that somebody needs to hear this. You are not done. You're not done. You're not down. You're not out. Christ paid too high a price for you to live so low. To believe so low. And so I want you to, the first thing I want to leave you with here this day is that it's hard to get to the right place when you're looking in the wrong direction. I'm going to say that again. It's hard to get to the right place. When you're looking in the wrong direction, listen. These women were looking for a source of life among the dead. No wonder they were in such despair. You ever been there where you try and be in a relationship with a dead person? You guys are going like, this guy is like the weirdest <laughs> preacher I've ever heard. What kind of weird, crazy stuff is that? It's 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 incomprehensible. It's it's. It defies all rationale and logic for us to even think about being in relationship with a dead person. But we do it. We do it. Why? Because it pulls us down. It weighs us down. It saps energy and life from us. And here we are believing that we can depend on people, depend on things, depend on what we get, depend on what's going on around us, depend on what people tell us. And it's not producing anything, and yet we're in relationship with these things. Here's the thing about dead people things they stink they only produce decay and they add no life why are you there reminds me of a story i once heard of a guy who found himself in the middle of an ocean don't ask me why once you hear the details is it there but this guy's in the middle of an ocean and he's drowning why he was in the middle of an ocean drowning i don't know he didn't belong there but the point is he's there and while he's in the midst of this ocean, he's drowning, and he's trying to find whatever recourse he can to somehow survive, and he's got nothing to cling to, he's got nothing to grab onto, no one's around. And so he cries out to God, and he says, God, please save me, God, please help me, God, please don't leave me here, God. I have dreams, I have goals, I have visions, I have my kids, my family, there's so much more to life. Please save me in this moment. And so all of a sudden, a guy in a rowboat comes by. I was just roam by, right? I've never rowed a boat, so don't judge me on it. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, the guy's rowing by, right? And he, and he goes, oh, man, I got you here. And he and always says, "Grandma, and I'll save you. And he goes, no, no, leave me. Give me a little. Get out of here. I'm waiting for God. So the guy leaves. A couple of seconds later, this guy happens to be swimming by, right? He's got the cap on, the goggles and all that. He's looking real professional, right? And he's swimming, and he happens to pass. He goes, hey, i got you. And he goes to grab him. He puts his arm under, under his shoulder and you know, his arm, and he's pulling him up. He goes, no, get off of me. Leave me alone. I'm waiting for God. The guy goes, peace. He keeps swimming on. All of a sudden, could you believe it, a helicopter shows up in full gear. Man, I mean, they've got the, the bullhorn, where you got your going, the lights are flowing, right? The, the water's, you know, like splashing to the side and everything. These guys are jumping in with their own suits and all that, and they drop ladders down, and they go to grab him, and they put a buoy around him. He goes, no, get off me. Leave me alone. I'm waiting for God. So the Coast Guard leaves. That's how you know it got really bad. The Coast Guard leaves, and this guy dies, and he finds himself before God, and he says, God, I was I was in need of you. I needed your help. I cried out to you. Why did you leave me to drown there? Why, why would you give up on me? Why would you let go of me in that moment where I cried out to you and only you could do something? And God says to him, son, what do you think the guy in the rowboat was for? Son, what do you think the guy who was swimming in the middle of the ocean was for? He says, son, what do you think the helicopter and the ladders and the buoys and the Coast Guard and all these people were, were there for My friend, what do you think God gave Christ for? Listen closely. The reason why this guy drowned and died that day wasn't because God wasn't there. The reason why he died and drowned that day was because he did not accept what God was reaching out and handing to him. And here's the the hope that we have and the guarantee that we have in the resurrection of Christ. It is a guarantee that assures us day in and day out that God is present, available, and he's reaching out to you even right now. Even right now. But we can lose sight of this. We We can lose sight of this right place. By looking in the wrong direction. Listen to what Romans 6, 4 through 11 says. I'm reading from the second half of verse 4. It says, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also live new lives. (laughs) Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Listen, that thing that you feel is your weakness, your kryptonite, that mindset, those beliefs, those things that keep you down are not keeping you down at all. The one keeping you down is you as you hold on to that anvil that's sinking. It's not God. God dealt with the very thing that could sink us all. He dealt with sin. And what the scripture says is he did away with it. So why do we do the things that we continue to do? Why? Because we keep thinking along lines that we've been freed from. Chew on that for a minute. Think about that. So listen to what he goes on to say. For when we died with Christ. You mean I died with Christ. When we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will always live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. When he died, he died once To break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Now up until this point, you're thinking about Jesus and what he did. You're watching the screen. Now insert yourself in what God has done. Listen to verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves. That word consider there in the Greek is an accounting term. It means to reckon. It means to look at the balance owed and bring it back to zero because it's been paid in full. And so watch what God says. He says consider, reckon, Put it to your account and understand this. that He says you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Who told you you still owe God something? Ah. Who told you that what God wants to do in your life has to do with you and what you do for him? Ah. That's religion, my friend. Yeah. Yes, sir. Think about this. If you're the one making the changes to be better for God, if you're the one transforming your thinking, if you're the one cleaning yourself up and acting a new way and talking another way and dressing a certain way and doing all these things for the glory of God, who's doing the resurrecting? Because uh, it's not Christ, it's you and I trying to dress up a corpse. In hopes that we might somehow be alive unto God. Can I tell you something about that? I'll go King James Version for you. It stinketh. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so what we see here is that the scriptures declare the resurrection of Jesus was not just his resurrection, it was ours in verse 6 is a game changer because it says we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Listen, in order to live a new reality with God, in order to step into all that God has for you, you have to let go of the old. You have to step out of the old. You have to know yes, sir. what he's done. And so your past, your hangups, your failures, and everything else that sapped the life out of you and probably is sapping the life out of some of us, we need to recognize this, that it is dead upon the cross. and You're no longer a slave to that life, but if you keep looking in that direction, it will kill the promise of the new and better things that God has in store for you. So can I speak to your heart and encourage your faith this morning? Stop trying to resurrect dead things. God is the one who resurrects dead things. God is the one who says I will give you beauty for ashes. He's in the business of resurrecting. Stop trying to live through dead things, dead places, dead relationships, dead mindsets. It will not work. It will not. The next thing I want to leave you with here is simply this. That life is a choice that you must choose to live. I want you to Think about this point as we leave it up there for a couple of seconds. Life is a choice that you must choose to live. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's one side of the pendulum. The other side, he says, but I came that you might have life and life abundantly. And what hangs in the balance between those two extremes is the choice that you and I make. See, these women and these disciples had heard Jesus tell them that it was necessary for him to be crucified and raised from the dead. But up until this point, they did not understand the choice before them in light of the resurrection of Christ. They had forgotten that Jesus said, listen, don't forget that I'm going to be handed over, betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. But three days later, I'm going to rise again. They had completely forgot about that. They had dismissed it. They had set it aside. And they had chosen to depend upon a corpse. I like the way author, Christian author Donald Miller puts it. He says, "To know there is a better story for your life, and to choose something other than, is like choosing to die." You know, it's the worst kind of death to die—the one that you die while living. Suicide over and over again, day after day—you're just killing. You're just, you're just dying. So slow and steady and perpetual death and, and everything stinks, everything's hard, you, and nothing looks uh, uh, promising, everything is bleak, and it produces nothing. That's the worst kind of life to live, the one while you're dying. See, the best version of your life is one choice away, the choice that God has given you and I, but to choose that, we have to make the choice to live This life that he tells us holds promise. So here's a question to consider as we're wrapping up today How's life, really? How's life? How's that going for you? Is it producing? Is it bringing fruit? Is it drawing you to an understanding of all that God has in store for you? Is it rejuvenating you? Is it refreshing you? Is it adding to you or is it weighing you down? Friends, I want you to understand something. God loves you. He loves you so much. That he said, "I'll end this by dying the death that was necessary to pay the penalty of sin. I'm making this choice that you might have life. But you see, that life is now available to each and every one of us. You know it's one of the greatest lies that enemy has told and people believe? I've got to improve myself before I can come to God. I've got to change myself. It's a bold-faced lie. If that were true, then what do you need Jesus for? Just do it yourself. And yet what we see here is that life, this life in Christ is a choice. It reminds me of a guy named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus in the dark of night, under the cover of night. He shows up, and this guy is like a religious scholar, like one of the elite guys amongst the Jewish nation. He shows up under the cover of dark, and he says, hey, Jesus, we know that you are a teacher sent to us from God. Listen to what he's saying. We know that you're a good teacher that can teach us some things about God. But he wasn't saying that was clear through the absence of those words was, we know that you're not the Messiah. We know you're a teacher. And I want you to consider what Jesus responds to him in this moment. He says in John chapter 3, verse 3, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And the scriptures say that Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. And this guy's probably scratching and going, what is he talking about? And so Jesus clarifies it by simplifying it. He says this, humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. A new kind of life. And so don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. You know, that word again is a powerful word. Because again speaks of another chance. Again speaks of another opportunity. Again speaks of a new way. See, this guy Nicodemus was clinging to his dead religion. And he's perceiving Jesus through those lenses. And so he approaches Jesus that way. And Jesus looks at him, and he doesn't judge him, but he gets to the heart of it. He says, Nicodemus, there's something you don't see. You have to be born again. Again. See, the resurrection of Christ serves as our invitation to be born again. And it's not being born again like when you go to the, you know, the dealership and you pick up your brand new car And you leave the dealership, and after you leave the dealership, it lost $3,000 in value. See, everything that we call new grows old, but not the life that Christ gives us. See, you can rise again and again and again And again, and you can go from one step in faith to the next step in faith. You can go from one experience in glory to another experience in glory. You can grow and mature. You can experience new things. You can have new opportunities open to you. But don't miss who's working in the midst of all that. It's the one who says, I've called you for this place called again. I've created you for new life. So don't settle for these dead places. Like Nicodemus, we can choose to question it or we can choose to accept it. We can choose to remain at our own level of human life and understanding or we can choose a new life which is spiritual and works from within us by Christ. Which leads me to our last point today. And it's this. Today is always the best time to begin again. And I want, I want to teach you something about... The resurrection, your resurrection. The power that God has made available, not just to you that are here, not just to you who are online, but to the entire world. So do this with me. Why don't you rise up from the seats that you're in? Let's stand. Now, I know that wasn't deep. I want you to think about what it took to rise. For many of us, we were comfortable in these seats cozy. Good message, preacher. But I want you to see that what it took to rise was to leave the place that you've been. And there's new life available to each and every one of us. Man, I remember on days like this, there were two days out of the year that we would go to church. Christmas and Easter. And it used to blow my mind when I was, I used to be afraid of Easter. Cause we would go to this place in Manhattan and what we would first thing you'd see walking is a guy on a cross and he he looked like he was mad at you and the weird thing about it is wherever you went it was like his eyes were following you it creeped me out and so the experience that I had with God is you know that he's on a cross and you know on this day I'm supposed to look upon God, him is a cross. Look at look at him upon a cross, and you know he's he's in agony and he's dying. But my friends, let me tell you something. The message of the gospel tells us that he's not there. He's not there, and he's certainly not in the tomb. Why? Because he rose not just to prove that he's God, but he rose to assure you and I that you can rise again and again and again and again. These women at the tomb and the disciples were once faithful followers of Christ but after his death the scriptures revealed that they all hid for fear of the Jewish leaders in those days. Not only were they afraid but many of them had also just outright left him. Some denied him, others betrayed him, others they hightailed it, they ran. One guy had the guts to stand at the cross with his mother while crying and looking at Jesus dying. But despite their failures, despite their doubts, and even their response in this moment, when they hear about what Christ had done, that he had risen again, none of this stopped God from reaching out to them and making it known to them that he was alive. Which leads us to a very important point because it tells us that even when we believe we're done, even when we believe we can't take another step even when we believe the circumstances or what they say and telling us that it's over, even when we've been unfaithful the resurrection of Christ gives us the guarantee that we can begin again and I'm going to tell you why, because the scriptures declare that even when we are unfaithful he remains faithful.